0: This week on the Whatcom Dads podcast, we finish up our discussion on emotion coaching. We interview Mark's kids to gain a perspective on parenting from some young adults. And we finish up our Halloween candy bracket. I'm Nathan Dwyer, and I'm alongside my co host, Mark Bagley. And for the second week in a row, special guest co host, Ross Zimmerman. Welcome back, Ross. You made it back. Round two. Let's go. A- Big, big question. Is the baby still
1: sleeping through the night?
2: Yes. I'm happy to report that we are still getting our recommended hours of sleep per night as parents. And it feels really good. So so we didn't jinx it last week? No, thankfully not. Excellent. I'm going to keep talking about it.
0: Second question. (laughs) Did you uh, do any emotion coaching to a five-month-old in the past week? It's
2: funny that you mentioned that, Nathan, because... You know, when I was reading the book, I didn't really see many opportunities of me to do that for Levi, considering he's not talking and not communicating with us verbally, but uh, I feel like there still are options for me to practice and get some emotion coaching in, in terms of uh, if he's seeming upset or if he's, you know, crying or, and, and trying to not assume that everything is okay, even though I'm trying to comfort him and, um, you know, try to keep him calm and, and shake him from his unsettled state, making sure that I recognize that things might not be okay with him emotionally or mentally, and not say it's okay, or everything's fine. Cause there's a chance that in his head, it's not. And, uh, I just need to make sure that I'm doing what I can in my power to comfort him and, and, uh, make him feel better, but not assume what he's feeling.
0: Well, you're going to do great, but if you need practice, what do you think if our next like group poker game, we just practice emotion coaching each other throughout the evening. Do you think that would go over well? I
2: feel like if we did that, that would be a, uh, an incredible, like Netflix documentary or show, because there are some characters at that poker table and, uh, talking about emotions there might really make some. Some of those folks uncomfortable,
1: it yeah, just so you know, I'm
0: busy that night. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you are. I bet you are. <laughs> well, I did want to give the listeners a little advance notice. Uh, Wacom Dad's podcast is going to take a roughly two month break. We've been at this almost exactly a year, and we will have accomplished 50 episodes before our break 49 episodes more than Mark thought, <laughs> maybe. 25 episodes more than I thought. And I don't know, Ross, what you thought the over-under was when I came to you with this uh, grand idea.
2: I would say about where you were, Nathan. I thought it was going to be a nice little uh, maybe quarantine hobby that extended a little bit beyond that. But I didn't see it having as much success or being as enjoyable to not only be a part of, but listen to as it's turned out to be.
0: Well, I do owe you uh, some gratitude, Ross, because I think you were the first person aside from my wife that I actually bounced the idea off. And you didn't just say like, "Uh, you're crazy. This sounds silly. So thank you for all of the, uh, you know, uh, back and forth we had and sort of uh, me running ideas and bouncing them off you. Uh, I really appreciate that. And uh, it has provided uh, a real sort of gift to me, not only to sort of sharpen my skills as a parent, but to spend some time with my friends, a lot of which was during quarantine when I couldn't actually spend time with him in person. So thanks for being that sounding board.
2: Of course, I'm glad it's come full circle and I've been able to participate in the podcast as a dad myself. That's pretty cool.
0: It is pretty cool. So you'll hear episodes 49 and 50 in the coming weeks. And then we're just going to take November and December off. They are always busy times of the year. There's a lot going on. So don't unsubscribe to the feed. There will be more. But we're sort of going to reevaluate sort of the structure, maybe the frequency of the episodes, how we do things. And so you listeners can help us with that. We've put a survey up on SurveyMonkey. There's a link in the show notes to the Survey Monkey. And if you listen to the show, you know, pause right now, take maybe three minutes and just give us some feedback. It's going to help us really know what you might be looking for moving forward. We really appreciate you listening. You get a two-part season finale in episodes 49 and 50 coming up, and then you won't hear from us for a little while.
3: Your life can change in an instant. Car accidents impact all aspects of your life and lead to pain and suffering, medical bills, and time missed from work. Robinson and Cole, attorneys in Bellingham, can help. They have represented thousands of clients since 1979. They also handle other types of injury claims, including workers' compensation. Consultations are always free and are available in Spanish. Robinson and Cole, when you need us, we will be here. Well, Watcom Dads podcast fans, we have two very special guests for you today. We have the son and daughter of our co-host Mark Bagley here. We have Ali Bagley and Ben Bagley. Folks, thanks so much for joining us. We're glad you're here.
4: We're happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for good. having us back.
5: I've listened for so long. I'm so excited to finally be on.
3: For those uh, who haven't been following along the entire time, why don't you re- remind folks uh, a little bit about yourself, your age. All that fun stuff.
4: Well, I'm Allie. I am the oldest. I'm 25. I work as a consultant, and I just moved to Boston in June.
5: I'm Ben. I am just turned 22. I'm a senior at Western right now. I'm majoring in statistics and journalism. I'm going to graduate this spring.
0: Right on. Awesome. Let's cut straight to the chase. Your dad tells all the listeners all the time how strict he was with you guys. Let's hear it straight from you. Was he really that strict? And if so, uh,
4: did it work? Yes, (laughs) (laughs) but he wasn't strict in a mean way. He was strict in a don't disappoint me way. And if you do disappoint me, you're going to feel sad because I'll be disappointed.
5: Yeah. he, He did a, he did a very good job as we were growing up is, especially when we were younger. Um, there was he, he was strict he held us to a high standard of, of what he expected of us you know he would push us he would he didn't want us to you know be talking back or leaving clothes on the floor like <laughs> that kind of way we did a really good job of as we grew up like as we went from elementary school to middle school to high school he took the foot off the gas in a really good way where it was still present he was always present in our lives still strict through high school but a little less so than middle school and in college, a little less so than high school. And so he did a good job of pushing us early so that on the back end, he didn't have to push us as much because we already knew what the expectations and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm actually really happy that he was strict because now that he's not anymore, it kind of makes it all more worth it. If that makes sense.
3: You know, he says that he was so strict and, and you're right. I, we We've talked about that on the podcast. Do you wish he was less strict or do you think he's just really being hard on himself?
4: Yeah. I think he's being hard on himself. He was the perfect level. Um, in high school, all of my friends, we had a very tight-knit group of friends. They'd always come over to my house to you know, spend Saturday nights or come over for lunch. And all of my friends, no one, scared is not the right word, but they all respected my dad because I respected my dad so much. And those were the rules. And no one broke Mark's rules because no one wanted him to be disappointed in them. And so I think that he did a fantastic job. I think he shaped my friends more than he knows too, um, because his parenting style just kind of transferred over all of us.
5: I was never afraid of my dad, but I was like, oh, he's mad. I do not want to, I don't, I don't want to break his trust, you know, because it just sets very high standards for his life and his kids' lives. And so I I never, I knew he was never going to physically, you know, harm me or emotionally destroy me, but. Yeah, he, he didn't want to break his respect. That's a good way of putting it.
0: So knowing that there's no chance that your parents will listen to this, is there anything that you've reflected upon and would say, gosh, I wish they had taught me more about this, or maybe there was this little blind spot they might've had with me growing up?
4: <laughs> Honestly, no. Yeah, Absolutely. I can't. I also have to say no. Yeah, they did I, a great job.
5: <laughs> I, I, I've talked to my parents about this before, and especially when I'm getting now to my you know early 20s, but meeting other kids my age who have their own family lives and their own stuff, and and they have stuff they struggle with nowadays, whether it's socially or emotionally. And there's a lot of things that I don't feel like I struggle with. And I credit all of that to my parents and I I've, I've talked to them before and I'm just like, you guys did a really good job raising me. You know, you were, you were strict and you were present and you were there, but also super supportive and super caring of all my interests and everything I wanted to do. And I mean, we're very open. I tell them most everything and they listen and they don't judge me. And they're just like, that sounds great. That sounds cool. Tell me more about it. They've really been super supportive. And I, Honestly, thinking back, can't I, I would raise my kids the same way and I'm pretty happy with what they did.
4: Yeah, I agree. Something that I really value and especially growing up and seeing my other friends and their family dynamics is like Ben said, they were strict with us and they let off the gas as we got older and now we're friends. I mean, my parents are some of my closest friends. I know Ben is also just as close with our parents and the four of us really value the friendship that we have now that Ben and I are in our 20s and- we can have a nice dinner with our parents and talk to them about their lives too.
3: So Ben, you had talked a little bit about uh, when you talk with your friends who are struggling with various things in their lives. Can you help some of our listeners understand a little bit about some of the struggles that young adults are dealing with today?
5: It's hard emotionally to like mature and to realize what it is to be an adult and to realize what it isn't to still be like a high schooler. Um, And There's just a lot to it there. There's a lot of, you know, emotional maturity, forgiveness, listening, communication. It's really hard to learn how to do all that things. And the only reason that I feel like I'm kind of competent in it is because my parents not only did all that with me, communicated their feelings to me, talked to me, listened to me, but I also noticed them doing it to each other. Like in the kitchen at dinner time even if they had a minor argument like my parents hardly argued growing up but they would talk and listen and get past the argument and it'll be fine you know and so I learned from them how to listen and how to communicate and how to deal with complicated emotions and now I'm when I'm noticing you know other parents who didn't do that with their children now their children have trouble with it later on in life so yeah i I, I learned from them how to Love in a way, even though I don't still really don't even know what that means, if that makes sense.
4: Well, I'm 25, and when I think of the age 25, I think of people who are, you know, adults, <laughs> and I don't see myself as an adult yet. I mean, obviously, I've graduated from college and I have a job and I have an apartment and um, I, I'm doing those things, but at the same time, I'm still—I still feel like a kid, especially when I'm with my family. Um, I don't feel like I am a 25-year-old, and so that's something that I think we're all figuring out and dealing with. And you know, especially how our lives transfer into our professional lives, and figuring out um, what it means to be in the workplace. I started my job or my career with a lot of young people. The oldest person that I worked with was 32. And so we kind of made our own rules. It was very relaxed, but we were able to make a lot of mistakes because my superior was two years older than me and it wasn't a big deal. And now with my new job, um, I'm by far the youngest person that I work with. And I think that that's more of the reality of people my age is they are oftentimes the youngest person that they work with by five, 10 years. And so being able to step into that next generation's world and still being seen as an equal um, is kind of complicated.
3: What is your favorite thing to do with your dad?
4: My favorite thing to do with my dad, and I know he's mentioned this on the podcast, but Ever since I was little and still now to this day, I love grocery shopping shopping with my dad (laughs) on Saturdays. Saturdays, (laughs) I've been listening. I've been listening.
0: listening. Yep.
4: That has been such a treasured tradition. Every time that I came home from school, um, even now when I fly home to Seattle, go up to Ferndale, I am so excited to go grocery shopping with my dad on Saturday mornings.
5: That's awesome. I honestly think it's watching a Dodger game. Um, I mean, I'm sure he said it as many times as he could. He's a huge Los Angeles Dodgers fan. Um, the baseball games go from April to October, um, and especially in high school, I worked some you know nighttime jobs, just sort from of like seven to ish. and so I'd come home, and I always have this memory. I would always come home, and the Dodger game would be in like the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning. So I'd get home, my dad would be sitting on the couch. I'd walk in, and be like, "Hey, man, how's it going?" Great. sat sat down. All of a sudden, there's 30 minutes there. You watch the Dodgers, watching baseball with my dad. And and I'm a huge sports fan. He's a huge sports guy. So whether if it's not just baseball, just talking, watching, playing fantasy sports with him, all that stuff is definitely my favorite thing to do with my dad.
0: Similar question. Then we know your dad's not super touchy feely, but what what things does he do that make you feel loved?
4: Something that my dad has done for me in the past. You're right. He's not touchy-feely at all. Not an emotions guy, but there have been times where he'll send me a text message after I've left. So, and I have them all saved on my computer desktop, like the screenshots of them. Um, There was one he sent me after being home for a summer and I was back at school and he said something along the lines of thanks so much for bringing your light into this home for the summer. It was so special to have you. Mm -hmm um when I passed the CPA exam he sent me a text message that said I smile every time I think about you passing the CPA exam I'm so proud of you and so it's just those little text messages are really really sweet
5: yeah he he, he what he, he said I'm proud of you but not too much it doesn't matter but once in a while I'll do something good I'll get a scholarship or I'll pass something or I'll finish another year of college and send me a text and he's like hey buddy I just want to let you know like I'm super proud of you. You rocked it. I love you so much. You're doing so good in everything you're doing. Keep it up. That makes me feel very loved. That's
0: great. That's awesome. We know that you have busy lives as young adults, and so thanks for taking some time to spend with us today. And uh, look forward to seeing you guys in the near future.
4: Thanks, Nathan. Thanks, Chris. We're happy to uh, have been here. If I can, really
5: quick before we go, Nathan, I would like to say you know thank you to you guys for hosting the podcast, but also I think um you people's friends are a reflection of their character and so thank you guys for being friends with my dad because you are both fantastic dads in your own sense and you reflect the the traits in him that we love you know the the how caring guys are how funny you are how all that kind of stuff you three together are like I see a dad in all three of you um and I Ali and I both love you guys and just thank you for being his friend he loves you guys and all three of you together are just just the best. So thank you guys. We love you all very much.
0: Thanks for saying that. that. Thanks for saying that.
4: What Ben said.
0: (laughs) All right, guys, take care.
4: Thank you. Bye. Bye.
0: Well, you guys came back to talk more about emotion coaching. You haven't had a lot of time to practice and Mark, maybe sometime in the next decade or so you'll have grandkids to practice this stuff on. Have you given any thought to that? Oh, no, no. The book made it very clear that this is not the responsibility of the grandparents. It made it very clear. Collaborative effort. (laughs) You can can give the book chapters to your kids when they have kids. Yes, I will do that.
1: Nathan, that can be your baby present to them when they have children,
0: this book. Perfect. I love to be the guy who gives people books. (laughs) The second chapter of the book, which we'll talk a little bit about, talks about four different parenting styles these are all loving parenting styles. Everyone has the best interest of their child at heart. Everyone is concerned about their child's well-being. Everyone wants to protect their kids. But this is just four different styles that have been observed in the research. And there was a little self-test in the book that if you do the true or false quiz, it can help you identify what your parenting style is. And I'll tell you, done the Emotion Coaching video series, um, and I only barely, and I mean barely, scored Emotion Coaching as my top parenting choice. So uh, despite my best efforts, I still probably have some work to do. Just for based on these descriptions, the four categories are Dismissing Parent, Disapproving Parent, the Laissez-faire Parent, and the Emotion Coaching Parent. Uh, Mark, once you read through these, did any description hit home for you? Well, I wasn't dismissing for sure I, when I first read the description. I thought I might be
1: the laissez-faire parent. That might be my strongest one. That was my, that was my guess going in.
0: Ross, again, you haven't had a ton of time to practice these, but just based on sort of your understanding of parenting and maybe what's shaped your view on the topic, did any of the four jump out at you?
2: Yeah, I, I wasn't super surprised. I ended up with, um, not by a wide margin, but with by a, a a bit of a margin. The emotion coach. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a landslide, and there are certainly some some aspects that I would. Fortunately, I have some time with some things that I will be able to to work on and address. Um, once Levi gets to to his toddler years
0: just if this is new to the listeners, let me outline the four types. So the dismissing parent is the type who would sort of tell the child, all right, your feelings really aren't important. They would often say things like, you shouldn't feel that way, or it's not a big deal, or don't worry about it. That parent really just wants the negative emotion to go away. The passage of time will heal all ills. This takes the form of maybe distracting the child from a negative emotion. Or maybe bribing them away from it like hey well you're upset about your bike getting broken let's buy you a new one and then all of a sudden we've moved on and gotten past the negative emotion contrast that with the disapproving parent who is the one who will criticize an emotion this might be sort of the don't cry about that only wusses cry you're not much of a man if you cry about that you shouldn't feel that way and so under that parenting style no negative emotion is okay It all has to go away. It's all a sign of weakness. The laissez-faire is more of the, oh, I really value your emotion. Uh, I respect that you're feeling that way. Let's just let you feel that way and not do anything else about it. Um, I think that's part of the first three steps in the emotion coaching, but they fail to take advantage of that opportunity to have some intimate connection with the kid and use that as some kind of guidance or problem solving with the kid. And then the emotion coaching, the one that is sort of the book is about, is one where the parent values emotions, uh, is aware of their children's emotions, respects their emotions, and then is able to help them learn problem-solving techniques and gain sort of a higher emotional IQ so that they can hopefully deal with these problems on their own in the future. Once you got to the four descriptions, did it help crystallize a little bit more sort of what he was talking about in the first chapter?
1: I, I think it m- maybe a little bit. Um, again, I think it's just really hard to put parents in buckets. There's so much going on. There's so much happening in the heat of the moment. And when I and so I, I took the quiz and going into the quiz, I thought laissez-faire was kind of where I was. And when I took the quiz, I'm not sure if I was taking it thinking about when I was a parent, kind of in the heat of the moment, or thinking about it now. But Nathan, this will probably surprise you, but I scored highest in emotion coaching
0: that doesn't surprise me because really I, yeah and I, I think you probably we've talked about it for 46 episodes <laughs> I think that you freely admit that if you were parenting now you might do some things differently and my hope is that maybe you've learned some things in the last 46 episodes um, so no it doesn't surprise me I think you and I both would say we're not real touchy-feely emotional people Right, But I think that proves that you don't have to be touchy-feely emotional people to adapt to that sort of parenting style. That's a very good point. Yes, that's a very good point. Yeah, the label. If it wasn't called emotion coaching, but it was called like, you know, super fantastic parenting style, I think you'd be more adept at <laughs> latching on to it. Because I think emotion is a trigger word, right? It is a trigger word. No doubt about it. <laughs> Yeah. So my second one was the laissez faire, but I think that I dip into the other buckets from time to time in certain situations. What I thought thinking through this, since it is the Whatcom Dads podcast, if two parents are parenting, would you say you think it's more or less important that the dad emotion coach than the mom, or does it matter?
1: You know, Nathan, I think
0: it's, I
1: think they're both equally important. I think that, I think there has to be a balance and I think there has to be a give and take between both parents. I, mean, I think one, it, one needs to be stronger in that than the other. I think if you're both super emotional coaches, that's probably not great. But if you're both, you know, laissez-faire, that's probably not great either. So I think you got to find that balance between the two. I really, really do. And, you know, the whole, the whole mom, dad, male, female gender stereotypes, I'm not sure that matters. I think the
0: balance is way more important. Ross, would you think that it's more or less important to emotion coach a boy as opposed to a girl child?
2: Important? No, I don't think. I don't think the importance is really significant. However, I would say that there are probably some stereotypes or norms that may make it more beneficial to emotion coach a boy versus a girl. I'm not saying that that is, you know, a good thing, but I feel like there are certain stereotypes that are, that are put on boys that kind of discourage the sharing of emotions and the, the saying of, of how you feel or, or what's going on in in your mind, you know, both uh, boys and girls will be able to benefit equally from it. But yeah, I I think there is a, strains that might be placed on on boys to um, make them withhold their feelings a little bit more.
0: Yeah. I asked the questions only because I think that it's probably harder for dads to do this stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's probably because men are less in touch with their own emotions. So Mm -hmm. if I can't name my own emotion, how am I going to name my kids emotions? I mean, it, it gets really tough. And then I think traditionally, some folks would say like, well, you shouldn't, the the boy has to be tough. The boy has to just get over it, rub some dirt on it, get back out there. And so I think it would be less likely that people would try this with, with the young boy.
1: And I think though, you know, the most important thing is no matter what parent is the emotional coach, the other parent has to support that and can't work against it. Right. Certainly.
2: Yeah. I was, I was just going to say, going back to what Mark was saying It has to be consistency. I think it's very confusing for for anybody to be in a situation where things aren't consistent one day to another or one parent to another.
0: Well, obviously, I recommend this book to folks just as a resource. I think I'll close our time on this topic with a quote from chapter two in the book that I think sums it up pretty well. Uh, he writes, when children feel emotionally connected to their parents, and the parents use this bond to help kids regulate their feelings and solve problems, good things happen. As stated earlier, our studies show that children who are emotion coach do better in terms of academic development, health, and peer relationships. They have fewer behavior problems and are better able to bounce back from distressing experiences. With emotional intelligence, they're well prepared to handle the risks and challenges that lie ahead. Before we wrap all this up, there is one unfinished piece of business. Mark, do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, This is probably one of the most important things we've done in the 48 episodes so far. One of, and it is? The Candy Final Four. The Candy Final Four. Cue the music. Here we go. Final Four matchup. Mark, you're going to go first. M&M's versus Reese's Peanut Butter Cup m ms Ross this is tough I have a member of this
2: household that is ride or die for M&M's and I love m ms very much but Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are my favorite candy so spoiler <laughs> alert Reese's
1: Peanut <laughs> Butter
0: Cup Whew. Nathan to, Dwyer I what are you going to do I need to take a minute these are both some of my favorite these are both top 5 top 10 for me I feel like I'm going to let somebody down. But I think... But you won't let Chris down because they're both chocolate. So you're good with Chris. That's true. I'm going to give the edge to M&M's, but only because my ongoing issue with the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup is there's only two of them, and I eat them too fast. Ah. But with the M&M's, they take longer, and I don't know. It's... uh, more.
2: more logistics than it is taste huh yeah i mean
0: i love them both but uh, that was close but m&m's is going to advance to the final 2nd semifinal matchup
2: i'm sad i'm sad that reese's peanut butter cups had to go up against m&m's i feel like this should have been a reese's m&m's
0: right they they legitimately could have met in the final you're absolutely right yeah Yeah, they 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 should have met in the final but you know what the bracketology didn't work out that way so We're going to go Sweet Tarts versus Three Musketeers. Ross?
2: Sweet Tarts all the way.
0: Wow.
1: I got to go Three Musketeers all the way. Nathan, that's tough for you because these are two of your – I think these these might be in your top five as well.
0: They are. And frankly, I probably would have put peanut butter cups over each of these. But again, the nature of a uh, bracket, you don't always get the matchups you want. I'm going sweet tarts. Wow. Cinderella. That's right. In this the is fi- like a, in, in the a championship.
1: This is like a 15 seed. <laughs> so so growing up though, you gotta know whenever I separated my candy out, because I was the guy the, the kid that separated the candy out and you know saved the best to last, I always saved the three musketeers for last because they were my favorite.
2: Interesting. Did they I feel like recent I feel like three musketeers has was changed at some point. I don't know if it was recently, but I feel like when I was a young kid, they were like top tier candy. And sometime after my childhood, the recipe was changed or something was changed in them. And they're not as good anymore.
1: Ross, I think you're right. And the only reason I kept three musketeers going in this whole thing was because of when I was a kid, I would not put them on top now, but I had to be true to my nine-year-old self.
2: I think I, I think I had, came in with the same mentality. I'm going off the, the top tier three musketeers that I know and love. Yeah. There you go. Today's version.
0: There you go. All right guys, well, we're not going to postpone this. We're just going to go right into the finals, okay? M&Ms. To to recap, the finals is M&Ms versus Sweet Tarts. M&Ms. This is this is for all the marbles, the big prize, M&Ms. Ross <laughs> I'm
2: honored to officially crown the candy champion of & m's.
0: You know what? I was going there anyway, so it's unanimous. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, three dads, four dads actually, over the course of over the course of four weeks, the time you spent listening to us debate candy, you'll never get back, <laughs> but we appreciate the listen. <laughs> m&m's candy champ 2021 Ready to go m&m's
2: my wife is going to be so happy
1: i think wherever chris is wherever he is in the world he would probably approve of the, of the m&m's winning
0: Thanks again to Allie and Ben Bagley for joining us. And as always, thanks to our sponsor, Robinson & Cole Attorneys. Make sure you check out our listener survey. There's a link to it in the show notes. As always, you can reach the show via email at WatcomDadsPodcast at gmail.com. Next week, part one of a two-part season finale. Mark, I've got a chicken joke. You have chickens, don't you? I do have chickens. I used to run a dating site for chickens, but I had to close it. I was having trouble making hens meat.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so do you guys know what you call a hippie's wife? What? Mississippi.
0: Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs>
2: After an unsuccessful harvest, why did the farmer decide to try a career in music? Why? He had a ton of sick beats. Ah,
0: oh. <laughs> sick beats.